following message is by a guest speaker of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. Okay, I'd like to share from uh, Jeremiah chapter 23, verses uh, 28 and 29. I'll uh, read that for us. Uh, This is coming from the um, ESV version. Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let him who has my word speak uh, my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat, declares the Lord, is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, like a hammer that breaks rock in pieces. Jeremiah is kind of known as the weeping prophet. And uh, one of the reasons for that is he ministered in, in the period of Israel's history where it was the time uh, after many hundreds of years uh, of the Lord warning them, if, you're, uh, if you continue to be unfaithful, if you uh, do not return to the Lord, I will send judgment. And unfortunately, Jeremiah had that distinction of ministering during that time where judgment came upon uh, upon the nation of Israel. Um, many of them, uh, the, the city of Jerusalem was captured, the walls were broken down, many of them were led into, into captivity, into a foreign nation, and uh, Jeremiah had to watch all of that happen. So obviously he was one of the most heartbroken of people watching his own people uh, looking and seeing uh, destruction because all throughout their glorious history, when they repented, they were, brought, they were saved. God would do a miraculous salvation. He would, he would slaughter you know, hordes and hordes of enemy uh, armies. He would, uh, he would pluck them out of, of uh, terrible situations. But this time, it was going to be different. This time, uh, God said, because of their unwillingness to repent, because of their unwillingness to come back, uh, they will experience judgment. And that was what was revealed to Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah, knowing this, uh, we could, we could kind of ask the question, well, uh, you know, why didn't he just jump ship at that time well, when he knows it, it's going to be a failing ministry, when he knows that people aren't going to listen? Uh, every, if we were to think about it uh, just from a human perspective, it would say, well, what, what else would you expect? I mean, how many people are willing to uh, stay, stay with uh, a company or a group or whatever gathering or organization that we know is destined to fail. And yet, Jeremiah did. Um, I mean, we kind of sometimes assume that, well, what, will we, what else will we expect from a prophet of God? But humanly speaking, uh, if we've been in, in very, very difficult situations, it's very easy to quit. Uh, you know, what keeps us from, uh, from jumping ship? Uh, a title doesn't necessarily hold you to... Uh, to, uh, to an organization or a group of people or, or some kind of um, task. Uh, I mean, sometimes uh, it helps, but it's not by no means any kind of guarantee. So with uh, Jeremiah, uh, the one thing I believe that did keep him faithful through all of that is uh, the Word of God. Now, it's hard to overstate the importance of the Word of God. We preach from it every week. Nevertheless, we do want to take some time and think about uh, what uh, is the Word of God to us? And uh, we should never tire of uh, being uh, encouraged 
to continue to move and spend our time in the Word of God. So uh, from these uh, few verses, I'd like to pull out a, a couple of points. The first point I'd like to make is that God's Word is wheat. So if you look um, in, the, in the very first verse, it says, Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with the, uh, wheat, declares the Lord. So uh, there's, there's this contrast between uh, these false prophets who were, who were telling dreams. They were making up stories of what they thought God was saying versus Jeremiah who was receiving the word of God and passing it on. And, and so, they, uh, so he draws this distinction between wheat and chaff. And since we don't live in an agrarian society... I thought it would be good at least just to show a picture. I don't know if it's going to come out very clearly, but as you can see uh, on the left-hand side is the chaff, and, and the right hand is the actual wheat. So the, the chaff is the husk or the thing that goes around the wheat. And if you look at the other picture where that lady is throwing up uh, after they've gathered all the wheat in and, and they're, uh, they're sorting it out, she throws it in the air. The chaff is the part that kind of uh, blows away. Uh, and again, I don't know if you can see it clearly, but, but she's actually blowing on it as she throws it up. So, so the chaff will kind of fall away while the wheat uh, comes back down, and, you know, and then they use it to bake bread and so on and so forth. But regarding uh, God's word as wheat, as spiritual nourishment for, uh, for our souls— I think there's a few things that uh, we should say regarding the Word of God. And some of these might be obvious, but I think, again, it's worth stating. Uh, one thing is, uh, when uh, the food we eat, all food that we eat needs to be nutritious, right? Um, unfortunately, in our day where people are short of time, uh, we, we want to grab a quick meal, and sometimes it's, uh, we go a lot of times to junk food. Even though it fills us up, uh, it doesn't really make us healthy or strong. And, um, and unfortunately, a lot of us have that kind of um, lifestyle with our spiritual lives. Just as, you know, just as with uh, the lives that we live, sometimes we, we go to junk food because, well, it's fast, it's convenient, it tastes good, but it's not necessarily good for you. And with... Uh, with our spiritual lives, unfortunately, it's the same thing. There's a choice between nutritious food and food that's spiritual junk food. You know, sometimes I'm, I'm having my quiet time, and as I'm reading, uh, reading through uh, the Bible, um, I, I don't know if this happens to you, but you start to daydream and think about other things and think about the things I have to do for today and uh, things about how nice uh, life would be if my mortgage were paid off and <laughs> if uh, I could do these other things and uh, all these other circumstances around us. And unfortunately, those things distract us and take away from uh, spiritual nourishment. You know, uh, making things easier in life is... a uh, I think it's just a natural tendency. It's inescapable that who would choose the harder thing when there's an easier thing? Uh, and it, it's kind of naturally we gravitate towards things that are easier and more uh, convenient and quicker. 
in, in my job, half of what I do is trying to make things faster, trying to make things easier, trying to simplify uh, our, our systems and things that I work in. And most of our tendency, most of our tendency is towards that way. And I think there's, uh, w- you know, Christianity doesn't, doesn't, uh, doesn't encourage masochism and uh, doesn't necessarily encourage, yeah, you have to make things harder uh, intentionally all the time. Yet nevertheless, there are times where if we're not careful, especially in our relationship with God, choo- choosing the easier the faster and the more convenient will lead to spiritual unhealth. Um, and, you know, we could spend a lot of time uh, trying to dissect what that means, but I think it's I- enough to say that uh, we, have to, uh, we have to focus on things that are nutritious versus things that are empty. And unfortunately, some of our dreams, some of our desires... Some of the things that we invest our time and life and energy in will not build within us spiritual strength. Uh, we see, uh, you know, in the television programs that we get, we get uh, addicted to uh, the the sports that that sometimes consumes our our lifestyles. Uh, whatever the case may be, uh, it, no matter how enjoyable those things are, there's always. Um, there's always a choice to make between how much and at what point do we say, that's enough. I need to spend time with God. I need to focus on my relationship with the Lord. So not only does uh, food need to contain nutrients, uh, but also food needs to be consumed. So uh, you, don't, you don't get healthy and strong uh, when you have food uh, that's full of nutrients if uh, you just look at it. Uh, you don't get strong by, by holding food or by touching food or by rubbing it on you. Uh, you, have to, you have to consume it, right? Uh, you have to digest it. And uh, so Psalm uh, 119.11 says, I've stored your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Uh, no matter how many Bibles we have, and even if we have our quiet time, uh, my... Uh, like I said, there are many times where if I'm tired, if I'm not alert, uh, I'm reading words, but it's not satisfying my soul. It's not changing and giving me hope. Uh, so, yes, we need to read God's word. We need to study God's word. We need to memorize God's word, and we need to meditate on God's word. It's only when we actually spend time understanding what we're reading uh, thinking about, so what does that mean and how does that uh, affect the way that I live that it really begins to change us, that really we begin to appropriate the nutrients of God's word so that we can grow in our relationship with God. And uh, too often, I mean, just the plain fact of having regular quiet time is hard enough, right? So many of us are busy and, and uh, I have to confess it's the same with me. It's, it's quite a struggle. But even if we have that time, we could still daydream and, and think about other things and still not make that worthwhile. We need to, uh, you know, people say uh, the term, be present with the Lord. Uh, we have to be there when, as we're reading. 
when I was young, I remember thinking about how does, how does, you know, reading all these stories that happened like long, long time ago, thousands of years ago, and genealogies, and I mean, what's the point of this? It seems so irrelevant. But the, the, with the passage of years, and as I start to uh, have times where I actually look at it, I actually think about it, I can't think of how um, uh, unbelievably practical God's Word is. It informs my marriage. It informs the attitude that I have at work. It informs my relationships with people. And, uh, and if we extrapolate it, I mean, what are the reasons for the conflicts and the wars that happen all throughout the world? Mostly because we don't know how to say, I'm sorry. We don't know how to admit that we're wrong. We don't have a humility to one another. Uh, it, and it starts with personal relationships, but it goes all the way up to countries when we're unable to admit maybe there is a better way. Maybe we can yield. Maybe we can compromise and work together. Uh, and, and as a result, uh, uh, there to be reconciliation. So food needs to be consumed. And finally, uh, w- one other thing to say is food needs to be eaten regularly. You know, you can't survive on one great meal a week, no matter how, no matter how good it is, no matter how uh, tasty it is, no matter how good it is for you. And I think you've heard this before, but uh, the weekly Lord's Day service is, uh, is absolutely essential. Uh, it's, you know, when we come together for worship uh, and receive the teaching of God's Word, uh, that is absolutely uh, important for our spiritual lives. And not only uh, receiving the Word, but the fellowship that we share with one another, even as uh, uh, the couple uh, previously that came up shared, uh, that being able to share community and being able to serve one another and being able to use your gifts to build the body of Christ, those are unbelievably important. And yet, it's not enough. If we don't spend time daily in God's Word, we will obviously grow spiritually weak and ineffective, just like with regular food. Um, If you don't eat daily, uh, you will definitely feel the consequences with with poor health. Uh, God's Word sustains and nourishes us. You know, sometimes other religions use meditation as a way to empty their minds. But Christianity doesn't say, empty your mind. Christianity says, you need to fill your mind. You need to fill it with the Word of God. Uh, Meditate and memorize it so that when a situation arises, those verses come to mind to help you uh, to overcome, to to go through, to persevere, and to continue on. Um, I mean, maybe these are familiar verses to many of you, but... Uh, let's go through uh, a quick review of some of them, uh, some of these uh, very, very well-known ones. Uh, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. God's word promises strength to his people. Uh, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. God's word promises guidance. When there are times uh, you don't know what to do, and it, it might, you know, 
it might not tell you, yes, take this job, or no, don't go there, or don't do this. And yet there are principles that God promises to guide us as we fill our minds with Scripture, as we understand what the Lord's will is, as we fill out uh, the areas of our lives according to His will, then some of those unknown places start to make sense and reveal themselves as well. Uh, it doesn't mean that God answers every single, every single decision we make, but by and large, in general, what I've seen is when we trust in God, when we look to Him, when we seek Him, and it's not just because of an emergency, but it's been a sustained pattern and a lifestyle all throughout the various decisions that you make. When something is unknown, there will be principles that provide boundaries, that move us in uh, uh, the right direction, that even though we might not be spot on because we're sinful, uh, generally we will be following the will of God. God promises that we can escape temptation, 1 Corinthians 10.13. No temptation is overtaking you except what is common to man, and God is faithful and just. He will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. There is no one temptation that is unique to me that nobody else in the world has ever experienced before. In fact, we as humans, the way that God has created us, the way that God has designed the world, us, along with everybody else, has probably experienced something difficult before, and it's probably not unique to us. There's probably other people that have that experienced it themselves, and yet God promises there is a way of escape. And of course, if we don't escape and we sin, there's also the promise of forgiveness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from unrighteousness. How many people struggle with unforgiveness? How many people have guilt, lingering guilt, of things that happened 5, 10, 20, 30 years ago? And still it, it, it's brought to mind, and, and God's word promises us we don't need to be beholden to our past. God is able to forgive us for our mistakes and our sins. He fully and completely satisfied that through uh, his son's death on the cross. And therefore, we have freedom and we have ability to move forward in his strength and for his glory. God promises when he has started a work in us, he will also complete the work in us. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, it says, uh, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. It's not only up to us. When we're in a relationship with God, he promises. He has a plan. He will complete what he has started. And we do not, it's, we do not need to fear that if it's not up to me, we will totally ruin the plan of God. God's plan and God's purposes are larger than even us. And with uh, the promise uh, uh, that he will complete, there's the promise that he will work all things for good. Every, many people know this one, right? Romans 8.28. Uh, and, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those uh, who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. If he works all things for good, that doesn't just mean the good things, the pleasant things, but even the harsh things, the terrible things, the, the suffering things, 
even the wicked things maybe that other people have done to us, and yet God can turn and use for his purposes, for his glory, to raise us up and to uh, complete our character and to do uh, uh, and to use maybe some of those painful circumstances for ministry to others. So we need to continue to uh, uh, feed on the Word of God so that it sustains us and it nourishes us. Um, secondly, the next point I'd like to make is that God's Word is like fire. So we see uh, back in, in the verse, um, in verse, uh, let's see, 20, uh, 29, is not my word like fire? Is not my word like fire? And when we think of fire, fire burns hot, it's intense, it's hard to control, it overtakes and consumes everything. And God's word is like that. When the fire of conviction, when the fire of the Holy Spirit falls upon us, it brings us into a truth where we can no longer deceive others or deceive ourselves. It burns up false pretenses and motives, and it overpowers all other arguments and justifications. Um, some, somebody said this, uh, opinion is something you hold, but conviction is something that holds you. If you read biographies of, of past Christians, and, and there are many, there are many that are amazing, um, um, you'll see how Scripture continue to hold and lead them all throughout their lives. I can't help but think of, uh, uh, think of whole Helen Roosevelt. She was a missionary, a missionary doctor to the Congo back in the 50s and 60s. And um, she, she writes in, um, in her autobiography, Give Me This Mountain. Um, she talks about the, the verses of Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Um, and... Um, and as she talks about that, and she, she uh, recounts many of her stories, um, it's just amazing to see uh, er, uh, time and time again at very critical uh, decisions in her life, at very important places uh, where she's seeking God's will, there, there was a particular scripture that seemed to guide and lead her decisions throughout her life. Um, and specifically, she, she shared about one of the most agonizing and painful ones. Uh, you, may, uh, you may know her story, but if not, um, with many advising against it, uh, against it when she was back, uh, back in, um, in England for a time, uh, the, there was a rebellion that started in, uh, in the Congo. And as that re- rebellion started and civil war was going on, uh, many missionaries were leaving uh, just for safety, for safety's sake, and yet... Uh, she felt that God was calling her back in. And, uh, you know, and she wanted to go and to serve the people. And even though, uh, even though people advised against it, uh, she went in, she was captured, she was beaten, she was tortured, she was gang-raped. And all of these things could have, uh, all of these things, terrible atrocities happened to her, and she could call it a privilege. You know, uh, here are, are, are some of her words. Wickedness surrounded us on all sides. It seemed inevitable that we should all be killed. And in my heart was an amazing peace, a realization that I was being highly privileged to be identified with him in a new way, in the way of Calvary. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Any other person, understandably, would become bitter, 
would have a hatred for the people that we're trying to help. Why are they doing wickedness and evil to us? And yet, Helen Rosevere could say she was highly privileged to share in the fellowship, the fellowship of suffering that Christ, uh, that Christ had gone through as well. What holds a person up through such nightmarish circumstances? It wasn't because of a good cookbook. It wasn't because of a math book. It wasn't a, a joke book. It wasn't a history book. It wasn't a philosophy book. If my might, might even say it, it wasn't even a Christian biography <laughs> as encouraging and as helpful as that is. And they are tremendously helpful and they're tremendously inspirational. But ultimately, it was the Holy Spirit igniting the fire uh, of conviction that comes from God's Word. You know, some of us will never have that kind of dramatic story. And I'm not sure that many of us want that kind of dramatic story. Uh, because it comes at such pain and such cost. But if it was able to help Helen Roosevelt to endure such things, and many other saints throughout all of history, can it not help us? I don't know what each person goes through, and I have my, my own struggles, but there is one certainty. God's word can sustain you, and God's word can uphold you. And the fire of conviction can guide and lead you even through the darkest times. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Not only is God's word like a fire, God's word is also like a hammer. When we think about, uh, about a hammer, uh, um, you know, it's a, it's a forceful object. It, it breaks rock, as it's, it says um, in the verse. Is not, my, uh, is not my word like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? You know, there's a tendency and, unfortunately, a danger that our hearts can grow hard. We hear, you know, kind of the same thing over and over again, and, and uh, you, you've heard the term um, familiarity breeds uh, contempt. Uh, we, we get so too familiar with the Word of God, not really intimate with it, not really knowing it deeply, not will, uh, really allowing it into the deepest recesses of our hearts, but kind of, you know, it's, it's there, it's outside of my life, it's external to me, but it, it's not allowed in. But... Uh, you know, the, the amazing thing about God's word is even though people start, try to keep it at a distance, uh, there, is, uh, there is the ability of God's word to break complacency, to break our, our, um, our hard-heartedness and break the things that, that hold us back uh, from uh, a deeper experience of God's plan. You know, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Um, we all have, uh, we all want uh, uh, on the exterior to, for people to see that we have it together, we're okay, we can handle things ourselves, 
And, uh, you know, life, life is good no matter what might be going on inside. And um, unfortunately, uh, we can rationalize and we can justify and we can make ourselves believe that things are okay. Uh, let's look at the next picture. Um, this lady, uh, her name's Asma Assad. Maybe, maybe you know her. Uh, if, you, if you don't know the name, I mean, if you just look at her, she seems like, what a very pleasant-looking, nice person, right? And in fact, uh, uh, reading through her history, that's what you would think. Uh, she was child of a cardiologist father and a diplomat mother. Asma Saad, 41, uh, is, is a British-Syrian dual citizen who grew up in London and graduated from King's College with degrees in computer science and Fran French literature. So, I mean, she's obviously very bright. Uh, her parents are both Sunni Muslims from Homs, the Syrian city located near the airbase President Trump hit with missiles on April 6th in response to Assad's use of chemical weapons. But uh, back to the story of Asma, after college, she worked for uh, uh, Dutch Bank, uh, the Dutch Bank Group, as an economics analyst, and then at J.P. Morgan as an investment banker. Um, based in New York and London. She reportedly turned down an MBA degree at Harvard to marry Bashar Assad uh, shortly after he assumed the leadership of Syria in 2000 following uh, his father's death. Uh, many have questioned, and this is from an article, many have questioned how Assad's British-born wife and mother of three has stood firmly behind the dictator accused of dropping barrel bombs and gassing his own people. In a rare interview with Russia's state-sponsored uh, Channel 24 last October, Asma said uh, she, uh, she stood by her husband during the conflict because, uh, end quote, my conviction didn't tell me otherwise. She praised Assad as a very giving man who takes the role uh, as a father very, very seriously. Um, there are pictures, if we can go to the next slide, picture posted on her Instagram account of, uh, of being at a child's birthday while her husband on the right, uh, that's not her husband, but, but that's uh, 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 a, a picture of some of the people that were, that were affected when, um, when the dictator, Bashar uh, Assad, uh, used sarin gas on, on his people. I mean, quite a stark contrast, isn't it? And uh, as I was reading this article, I couldn't, I, I couldn't help but be gripped. There's this one professor that was, that was uh, talking about uh, the, the Assad family and talking about asthma and saying, you know, they're living in an alternate reality. Now, some of it, of course, is propaganda and things like that, but they, they can't help but try to portray a picture of everything's together. Everything's fine. Everything's beautiful. Look at our children, how cute they are. Uh, my, my husband, he's a very, very good father. I mean, it's like saying uh, a member of the mob killing and extorting uh, money from people and, and saying, I'm a good guy. I, I give money to the church. I'm good to my mother. Isn't that what she's saying? And, you know, bright, intelligent, uh, good background, all of these things. 
So what's the problem? You know, education is not enough. Intelligence is not enough. Good character is not enough. Strong-willed determination is not enough. As wonderful, as capable, as able as a person is, if God's, if God's word is not what destroys the sin, the complacency, and the deception in our hearts, honestly, are we all that different from Bashar and Asma Assad? I mean, some of us have very, very competitive spirits. When, when, when you're, you're competing against the, the other team, what, what's, what's the goal? To win. But does it matter how you win? And some people say, no, as long as we win. We've, received, we've achieved the objective but, I mean, you could do that in baseball. <laughs> you could do that in, you know, in, in soccer or, or basketball. But when you're a leader of the country and there is an uprising of rebels, winning period can cause great, great damage. And unfortunately, we can, we, and, you know, we can judge them and say, they're crazy. Unfortunately, we create alternate realities in our lives all the time. Whether it's in our jobs or in uh, relationships with people or in, or in our schoolwork or whatever the case may be. It's just that they happen to be in a position where it affects an entire country. If God's word does not fill and nourish and grip and break the sin that's in our lives and, and nourish uh, righteousness and holiness, then we're not all that different. I hope and pray that God's word would begin to fill our hearts, to nourish us, would, would grab our hearts with conviction and would fill our lives in such a way that it would break sin, for all have sinned and fall short of the uh, glory of God. There is no one righteous, no, not one. I pray, ultimately, that um, in, in John chapter 1, 1, you know, it said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Yes, we need to read the Word of God, but, uh, you know, but the Word of God really is pointing to Jesus Christ, our Savior. And it's only when He is the one that we consume, because He's the bread of life. And He is the one that grips our hearts, because our God is consuming fire. And he is the one that breaks down our complacency and sin 
uh, breaks our hearts of stone and gives us hearts of flesh, can we truly have the hope that we will be used by him, we will give him glory, we will live righteously, and we will make a difference in this world? Let's pray. You know, it's funny. Um, people, people talk about comfort food, right? Uh, when, when you're having a bad day, uh, it helps you kind of deal with disappointment and discouragement. Um, I mean, I, I guess there is some kind of uh, psychological something that happens when, when, when you eat food that you like. Uh, there is some kind of soothing effect or some release of hormones or whatever. But God's word is truly comfort food, isn't it? But it's not the cheap substance that helps you for, uh, you know, for 30 minutes and nourishes your soul. It gives you life. It changes your perspective. It gives hope in the midst of dark times. God's word, wheat, fire, hammer, may transform us.